Hi, I'm Bethan Karaman Merkel. And I'm Virginia Schutte, and this is Meteor, the honest podcast about science communication with impact. Listeners, we invite you to think of this episode as a conversation between mid-career professionals while we're standing in line, hoping for a pastry during a break at a conference. Yes, we feel like there are lots of great spaces that already spend their effort on how to level up your skills for SciComm. So we'd like to share some of the advanced user conversations that honestly we are already having with each other. And we want to open up these conversations beyond just us. So we genuinely want to hear, what do you think? Today we are talking about branding. I agree with that tone of voice. Let's just out ourselves here. We both think it's past time, past time for science to buy into the concept of branding, but it's probably not going too far to say that most scientists that I coach or collaborate with avoid branding like they would avoid falsifying data. And for seemingly similar reasons. I like how you just laid that out right there in the beginning. There's a premise. (laughs) Yeah, I think that the top reason that the scientists I work with are deeply uncomfortable with the concept of branding on average is that it feels like they're a gross person if they embrace it. And to be clear, I want to make sure we're clear on what we're talking about here. Branding is actively creating or influencing the perception of something for marketing purposes. That something could be a person like you, me, a scientist listening to this, a science communicator listening to this, uh, a project or even an organization. Yes. And the thing about influencing perception is that we're doing it all the time in jobs, funding applications, when we meet new people, when we present our research at our conference. So what is it about owning what we're doing that creeps us out in science? That is such a great question. I think the first thing that I think of is that branding is perceived as being in opposition to basic scientific principles. Scientists are trained to market their science in grant applications, but we talk a lot less about marketing the results of a project once that project has concluded. The results are supposed to be convincing on their own, right? They should speak for themselves. That (laughs) attitude translates to branding like this, I think. The idea that we know something that is true, like our true selves or the results of a project or what activities take place at an institution and then deliberately present only part of that truth to the world or somehow spin that truth in order to change how people perceive the thing we're branding, that runs counter to the way we're taught to do science. Mm -hmm. So if you're choosing which parts of your branded thing you present to the world for marketing, then your thing must not be compelling enough to stand on its own. This is so interesting. Because how compelling something is, is an issue of belonging. What this science is neutral thing really means is that we expect people to share our values and perspectives. For science to be objective or rational, people have to find meaning and value in science in the same way as the people who are creating the science. This isn't a fresh hot take. There's a lot of discourse around this. The claim 
though, that the perspective of a person doing science or the science results themselves is objective or neutral, it's actually a claim that the scientist or science approach is the norm. De facto, the other perspectives are outside the norm. But science is a persona already. And in that context, the whole idea of avoiding science branding collapses. It has to. Essentially, avoiding branding means you're letting other people control your branding, your narrative. Okay, so I want to sum all that up because those are some really big ideas. <laughs> so tell me if I have this right. If we buy into the idea that it's bad to use branding to make something more compelling, then we agree that we buy into it because there's an objective, universally valued truth that doesn't need marketing because it's compelling all on its own. But that assumption flops because all people don't have the exact same values. What you view as normal depends on you and your lived experiences. Right. And let me add something more that might make some folks uncomfortable. There's a double standard with marketing too. If you're in certain identity groups, you can brand and market the daylights out of yourself and not get judged for it. This is exactly what came to mind as I was listening to you go off earlier. Um, I, 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 Certain groups of people have been conditioned not to present themselves as confident or loud, not to ask for more, not to promote themselves or their accomplishments, because while those behaviors are acceptable or even celebrated from some groups of people, they are vilified from others. I have worked with so many vulnerable or marginalized folks who feel like they are a gross human being. If they talk about their accomplishments, not even talk about them like you think I'm the best, but just state them on their website that they are building about themselves and their <laughs> career, not because somebody told them that it was gross to make a website or talk about their stuff, but it's an internalized coming from themselves feeling of yuck. Yes. Dear listener, I want to say this directly. You may be one of those people that's been torturing yourself about branding. What we're saying here is hold on. Yes. Our society and the system that science participates in and even perpetuates are what have decided that you should feel gross because in that oppressive paradigm, you are not supposed to have a platform. Okay. Yeah. And now I'm going to pick up on this rant. <laughs> if that all sounds abstract to you, because we're talking, again, we're talking about big, big things here. If it all sounds very abstract, let me tie it explicitly to science communication. Every maybe like six months or so, a tweet will make it into my timeline that says something like, Science communicators are only in it for the fame, which, <laughs> right? I know I have. So every time I compose like eight angry replies and then I just don't say, cause it doesn't need to, right. It's a direct and a public negative valuation of people who have a platform. There's usually no specific person they're targeting. It's just the concept in general is, is bad. And I have to tell you, <laughs> I'm not in Psycom only for the fame, but oh my gosh, do I ever wish that I was famous? <laughs> I 
How how many people read about Kim Kardashian's campaign with Trump to free one person from jail? What if instead she was campaigning for people to get vaccinated? Can you imagine the reach and the potential <sighs> impact that a science communicator would have if they were really, truly famous as an A-list star? Like, I don't, what is wrong with that? With that? <laughs> <laughs> Right. And I can actually think of a few people who have done that, but we won't go down that road today. Fame isn't the end goal for me either. Though for me, high level private philanthropy would be dreamy. <laughs> but in my, in my real life, I experience this more as a why not me feeling sometimes. Like someone has gotten a bit more of a platform and I would love to have something like that. So I acknowledge for myself, there's the hustle in the background that I'm doing differently. I'm spending my time building things in other places, not say pitching the conversation, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't want to. That's just not what I'm doing right now. And the other part of it is that we still socially platform folks from dominant backgrounds. I don't have a PhD and that probably does get in the way sometimes. My first thought was not that the PhD is what prevents certain groups of people from, but, but well said, PhD is a thing that we talk about a lot as being a point of difference between groups of people in, in our line of work. Um, we're actually dancing now around some of the ways that I use branding as a tool in my personal science communication work when I'm producing and publishing as myself on my personal channels. So let's shift away from... <laughs> <laughs> the challenges associated with branding and let's shift into how to use it as a tool within the context of those challenges. I've actually been challenging myself in my personal science communication work to embrace the concept that how branding is perceived as a product of belonging, but I hadn't thought about it that way, Bethann, until you just said all of that. This mm -hmm. is exactly what I'm doing. I'm trying to view messages from trolls and bullies that say you're annoying as a sign of success. And let me be clear, I am not advocating that anyone embrace harassment or death threats or anything of that nature. But if something I release through one of my personal social media channels attracts a bunch of ignorable messages, they're not harassment, they just say something like, be quiet, uh, then I consider it a success because I have <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an indicator. Well, I'm trying to consider it a success, let's be honest, because it's an indicator that I've reached beyond the bubble of people who think like me. And that's mm -hmm. really my goal. Maybe then someone who isn't coming and telling me to be quiet will think about whatever the topic of my post is in a new way. I don't get to see those thoughts. I don't get to see those kind of perspective shifts. So if you don't like my brand online, you, I'm trying to make you into this mark of success. <laughs> <laughs> but then I have a question for you. How do you advocate that others could or should use branding knowing all of the yuck context that we covered earlier? Hmm. So first, on the record, I love that resistance to you can be read as a sign of your success. That's <laughs> That's solid. There's some deep foundations in psychology that support that take. And I even see advice like you don't have a book idea until you know 50% of readers would hate it. 
I feel like that hating part might be easy for me to reach. It's <laughs> liking it. That would be the tough so as for advocating or advice, the hard reality is that I think we have to coach folks to push back against the paradigm while understanding that they have to operate within it. So it's not enough to just say this system shouldn't exist. We'll send people off to get crushed by that system. And I would say that it's morally reprehensible to tell anyone to assimilate or perpetuate that system without scrutinizing it. Yeah, this is something that I think you and I have talked about a lot. We share the goal in our work, in our training, in our mentoring, less of telling people what to do and um, more ensuring that people have what they need to use their own power and agency to make their own decisions that they can fully support. Right. Also, in past episodes, we've talked about goals and even using a CV or a resume to help us understand our own identity in SciComm. At the individual level, we need to approach branding grounded in those ideas of self-validation and affirming our own direction, even if others don't completely understand us. And then we can build outward. And as we've been talking about, that can be so hard as an individual. But I see it really differently when we're talking about branding for organizations or institutions. In that context, we have a duty of care to society and specific stakeholders, especially those with the least power to influence us, but who we may have a lot of impact on. Hmm. This is a really good point. I, in my own mind, also view branding for individuals as a kind of separate process from branding for organizations. There's a lot that's different between them. And I think you're right that it's potentially easier to think about branding as an appropriate concept for a group or a project or some kind of entity rather than an individual. That's so interesting. I want to make sure we leave you listeners with a question to think about. So my question for you is, why is it easier to market your work than it is to market yourself? I just said that I think it's easier to brand a project or a group or something like that. Why is that easier than marketing you? When you apply for a fellowship like the NSF GRFP or numerous SciComm opportunities, you're asking the agencies to fund you, not just an idea right? You do not have to carry out the exact project that you say you'll do in your GRFP. They're investing in you and your development. When you apply for a job in your cover letter, you make the case for why they should want you and that why they should want to invest in you, not you don't spend your time outlining a project that you will complete for them. So if you know you have to market yourself like that later, then do yourself a favor and start practicing that kind of marketing of yourself Right now, make time to consider branding as a tool that can help you advance your career by passively setting you up for success and helping you bag opportunities when they come your way. Why is it easier to market your work than market yourself? And what can you do to start practicing marketing yourself right now? I think, I think that's a wonderful place to lead this. So, dear listener, if you really want to hold yourself accountable on this, talk about what you wrote down with colleagues or students or get in touch with us. We would 
truly love to know what you think about branding and how branding impacts you. You've been listening to Meteor, the honest podcast about science communication with impact. We have a short survey running right now. Tell us what you think SciComm needs or what resources you want that you can't find for your own work in SciComm. To join this conversation, leave us a comment or a review. Say howdy on Twitter using at MeteorSideCom. Or check out everything we do in addition to the podcast on our website, MeteorSideCom.org. Talk soon. Mm-hmm.